This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. It is Tuesday. That means I am joined by a guest, and we're going to have an amazing conversation. This episode is all about romantic relationships. I found Gemma on TikTok, which is where, honestly, I find most of my guests on TikTok. I saw one of her videos and she was talking about how 80% of women initiate divorces today. And she went into why that is. And it was so interesting. So I started watching all her videos and I was like, oh my God, I have to get her on the podcast. So I reached out to her and luckily she agreed to come on. This is such a good conversation. You need to have your partner listen in on it because It's so important, and I'm sure many people in their relationships will be able to relate to what Gemma is saying in this episode. Some of the things we chat about are the idea of shared suffering, so how we have a lack of meaningful connection to self and to others, so why is this happening? How can we reverse it? We talk about emotional intimacy with ourselves, and also we get into attachment styles because I know you guys are interested in attachment, so she goes over the different styles and what those characteristics look like in a romantic relationship. She talks about her own experience with recently getting a divorce and... I share some things that I've noticed in my relationship, one of those being how even like in my family and in my relationship, I just noticed how the women are more connected to family members and friends than the men are. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but like I, you know, am super close with a few friends. We talk all the time. I talk all the time to my mom, whereas my husband is more like reserved and doesn't really... I don't know, like he still has good relationships with people, but it's different. He's not like constantly connecting with people and like maintaining that closeness, I guess. So we get into that and why that is and kind of how to reverse that. So it is information overload. I know you guys are going to find value in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy 
Gemma Rain is a certified life coach. She has been working with clients for over a decade, and obviously she recently started a TikTok account, which has been exploding because the information she provides is so valuable. I am excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome Gemma Rain to the Mom Room Podcast. Today I am talking with Gemma Rain. And to start, I thought you could tell us about yourself and also your training. So I'm a life coach based in Los Angeles, and I've been coaching clients for over 10 years. My undergrad degree was in psychology, and then I kind of moved into social work a little bit. I was supervising a home for emotionally disturbed teens. And then and then I actually got a little burnt out and took a little break from humans and became a jewelry designer. And then I really missed working with humans. So people were telling me, you should really check out coaching. And at the time, life coaching had this kind of stigma to it. And so initially I was resistant, but then the more research that I did, I recognized, no, I think this is a pretty good fit for me because I'm very solution focused. I have, I think that one of my gifts is recognizing people's strengths kind of right away. And so I actually was coaching for, after doing a ton of research for quite a while without being certified because I wanted to see if I even liked it. And then, you know, I, now I'm a certified life coach. I work with individuals. I also work with couples. I would say at the heart of my coaching process is really helping people develop meaningful connection with themselves and with others. It's interesting that you said that you got burnt out because I don't think people realize how taxing it is to even just sit with someone and really listen and be very engaged. Because my whole life, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a psychologist. That's what I want to do. And then my first experience actually doing like one-on-one with people, it was a structured attachment interview. And I remember just one interview, or I would have like, let's say two back to back, and it would be like an hour and a half of being super engaged and like really listening to what people were saying and talking about their childhoods and like any trauma that they had. And I would be exhausted. And I was not expecting that at all. And so I was like, oh, maybe that's not really the career path for me. (laughs) I don't think people understand how taxing it is. And I think it's very common for people that work in mental health to get burnt out for sure. Absolutely. Compassion fatigue, right? Just like you're talking about, just the act of being fully present with somebody if you're an empath like I am, you know, I've had to put in a lot of work into developing better boundaries for myself because I was the person that at the end of the day would still be thinking about the people that I was working with and concerned for them. And, you know, you have to really understand it's their process, right? It's their journey, it's their process. And just developing those boundaries for yourself. I recognize I give quite a bit of my energy in my coaching sessions. And so, I have to really pay attention to my own energy level throughout the day to recognize when I need to take a very conscious break and not a break where I'm just distracting myself with something, right? A break to restore my energy. So I discovered Gemma on TikTok, which is where I discover a lot of my guests, actually. (laughs) So I was curious, you know, you said you've been doing this for over 10 years. So when did 
TikTok become a thing in your life? And how did you start making videos? Because they're so good. Oh, thank you. So yeah, it's strange for me to even recognize that. As strange as it is, as it is for coaching clients to be coming to me, they'll say kind of sheepishly, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I found you on TikTok. And I'm like, that's where everyone's finding me. That's you know part of where I found myself. So I've never been active either professionally or personally on social media. It just never felt like a good use of my time. It never felt engaging in the way that I wanted it to be. And so then through the pandemic, actually in quarantine, my daughter, I would two teenagers, my teenage daughter was watching a lot of TikTok. And I initially was teasing her about, you know, how many people, how many times can you watch that same dance with different people doing it? And then she said to me, you're being so critical, mom, there's a lot of great content on here. And so she introduced me to some of the content that was more about self-development, right? In addition to some cute animal videos. And I found it very healing. I actually was going through separating from my ex-husband from a 20-year marriage during the COVID quarantine. So a lot of, even though we were doing our best to be amicable through that, our family, the four of us, were all under the same roof. There were some very uncomfortable, tense moments. And so TikTok was kind of, you know, my healing. And in recognizing the value of it, everything from you know, professionals on TikTok to just people talking in a very brave and authentic way about their experiences, sharing their wisdom. It just seemed like a very genuine expression of the human experience to me. And so, and then I also realized through the process of leaving my marriage, why is nobody talking about the common pattern that leads to the dissolution of marriage? In leaving a really nice guy, I couldn't find any information on the extra challenges of of leaving a nice guy. You know, people get when you leave someone who's not so nice and they will even cheer you on. When you're leaving a really wonderful person, you engage in a lot of self-deception in the lead up and you're telling yourself that you don't really have the right to pursue greater fulfillment because, and you're telling yourself you have what everyone else is saying they want right? In this sea of not so nice guys, you found one of the rare nice guys. So you don't really understand for a while why you even want to leave. So I felt compelled to come forward and talk about the pattern leading up to the ending of a hetero relationship, because there's a lot of dynamics in there that are influenced by social gender role conditioning. And also the fact that it's, it's usually women initiating divorce in hetero relationships. And I also find it very interesting that therapists know this. I was raised by therapists. I heard about this my whole life. Oh, it's always women who want to leave. So I thought everybody knew this. They don't. That's one of the first TikToks that I saw of yours, actually. Because I think in that TikTok, you discussed why it's, I think it was like 80% of the time, it's women initiating divorces. And so why is that? Because women have been carrying the emotional and relational labor for forever, really, right? We are told that our value is contingent upon our ability to prioritize the care, the emotional needs of others over our own, you know? And so we neglect our own emotional care in that process. And so we're the ones that are monitoring the emotional closeness, the intimacy 
in all different forms in the relationship. And emotional intimacy is connected to physical intimacy. And so both suffer when you move towards a state of disconnection in your relationship. So the women are the ones monitoring that. The women are the ones to then call it out first. And in this pattern, one of the really painful aspects of it is they're usually dismissed. So they bring it up with their partner and they're either directly dismissed, they're told you're crazy, you're going through a phase, you're overreacting, I don't know what you're talking about, you'll get over this, or they're indirectly dismissed, which was what happened for me. And so it was harder for me to really catch it because in the moment, my ex was very compassionate when I said, I feel lonely in this relationship. And we'd been very connected for years. So this was really just at the end of our marriage. We weren't spending quality time together due to scheduling conflicts. And I said, we need to figure this out. I'm really concerned. We know as he's, his mother is a therapist as well. We know as two people who were raised by therapists that disconnection is the kiss of death in a relationship. And so we need to figure this out. And in the moment he said, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. I hate that you're sad. A lot of compassion. And then the next day he carried on as if we never had the conversation. And I brought it up a few times. And over time through that period of disconnection, if your partner doesn't tend to that, if they don't revisit it with you and say, I hate that you're suffering, let's figure this out together, you start feeling that you're not cared for. Do men not, because I can see where they understand. They're like, yeah, I don't feel like a strong connection. Like we don't spend quality time together. But like you said, even after you bring it up, they just carry on as if like, is it hard to break out of that routine? Because for us, we've been married. Oh God, I don't even know. Next year, (laughs) next year, next year, we will have been together for 10 years. And I think over the the quarantine and the pandemic somehow, because I stayed home with our toddler and my husband's a physician. So he continued on with his job as he normally would, but we just got into this routine where it was like, he would come home. We did like house stuff and then we would put on the TV and we would be side by side, but we're not. There's no emotional connection there. Yeah. And so I started to pick up on that. And same as you, I was like, okay, we need to make an effort to like even if we're like putting on a movie together and talking about it or whatever it is, make an effort. So why do you think men aren't the ones that are monitoring the emotional connection? And why, even after you bring it up, do they find it difficult to, like, do they not want to? Do they not care about the connection as much as women? Like, do they not need it as much? I think it's, there's a number of layers to that. I think one, they are socially conditioned to think that their value is contingent upon their doing, on being providers, on being task oriented. And so it's a very, for both men and women, we've been socially conditioned to think in terms of a limited sense of our worth. And so Part of it is that men don't understand 
what creates a sense of connection in our relationship, which actually they will talk about moments in the relationship, often relating back to, you know, the early years of the relationship where they felt a sense of connection and they will talk about how meaningful that was to them. And so they're just not thinking in terms of that their value extends far beyond their ability to provide, especially now when women are providing for themselves. And so... In part, this has been a conditioned experience, right? And so they don't, uh, for some men, they don't completely understand what their partner is talking about. They think, well, I'm here with you. I'm sitting beside you. Yes, but you're physically beside me, but emotionally, psychologically, you are not attuned to me, right? So I can still feel lonely even though you're sitting beside me. And they're also suffering. However, they have, again, been conditioned to distract themselves with work, with hobbies, with activities. Their relationships are not as intimate with their friends, right? So it's also in part that they haven't been given the opportunities to cultivate intimacy in relationships. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This is huge. And I always think about how, especially in my family, we are so close much closer with my mom's side of the family and like planning things and always seeing them because my mom is the one, right. That is making these connections. And so it just trickles down in the family. And so that's where we end up going now that we have a son and we're building a family. I find it's the same with us. Now I am so close with my family, my parents, my mom, my mom's mom. And so it's like, I'm the one that works at those relationships. Whereas my husband is very, like you said, he's not that intimate or that close with his side of the family or with his friends. It's the same with me. Like I'm on the phone all the time with my friends, like making plans. And sometimes I feel bad. I'm like, go call your friend, go out for dinner, like go do something, you know? But like you said, they're not conditioned to be that way. In fact, they've been shamed as young children. So as young children, there's no gender differences in terms of when you watch young kids on the playground, if a child gets hurt, they will all rush over to care for that child. A couple years later, maybe in first grade or something, if, if a boy falls, they're, they're not as likely to rush over as they were, say, in kindergarten, right? He's, he, this young child is given this message to handle it on his own, whereas the girls will still be rushing over and they are, they are encouraged to share the experience with each other, to comfort each other. So it's really about opportunity to practice these skills because in our family, the men have high emotional and relational intelligence because they've been given the opportunities and the encouragement to practice that. And you see the evolution of that through the generation. So my father, for his generation, I think has a better understanding of the importance of connection. You know, a lot of men, when they get older, they don't, some of them have no friendships. They're completely dependent on their partners. He intentionally cultivates his connection with his family, with his siblings, with his nieces and nephews and friends, right? And my brother, also, you know, like me, raised by a therapist, higher emotional intelligence. My son's emotional intelligence, in my opinion, I know I'm biased, but is really kind of through the roof for a 20-year-old guy. However, what I still notice with men is that they're, again, not to do this, they have less emotional intelligence about themselves, less of an understanding, more diminished understanding of their own internal emotional landscape. So even if they have high emotional intelligence, they're great at attuning to others and at being present and at showing compassion and allowing other people to really feel seen and understood. When it comes to their own care, there's still more skills to learn. And same with women, actually, because women are caring for others so much, right? How do you recommend that a woman, let's say it's a heterosexual relationship, she feels like there's not connection. What are some tangible things that 
people can take home and use to bring it up with their partner or to try and make changes so that there is more of a connection? I think for starters, it's important for both people in the relationship to take responsibility for cultivating connection and to even have the conversation even before you may get to a point where there's disconnection in the relationship, early on in the relationship or at any point to talk about the idea of a relationship continuing to grow and thrive. Because I also think we have been conditioned to prioritize commitment as in simply just time together. If that's the foundation of your relationship, just being under the same roof for a number of years, and you're not consciously cultivating passion and emotional intimacy, your relationship isn't going to thrive. So what really needs to shift, and I'm seeing a little bit of a shift now through these, I mean, I had no idea that when that first TikTok video about the pattern leading to the dissolution of a marriage, went, it went viral immediately. And what I'm noticing that's different now is that Yes, it's mostly women contacting me, but also a significant number of men who are saying, I'm hearing in your message that I need to work on myself, not just be more present in my relationship, but to understand myself better. And that's what's going to lead to change here is people learning how to develop better relationships with themselves. So I think for women who are in relationships with men to have the conversation around how are you emotionally investing in our relationship, right? I, I, I do value that you are contributing to the household income if their partners are. I, if they're raising kids together, I value that you're co-parenting with me. And let's talk about how we're each contributing to our relationship so that it continues to grow and thrive. That's, that's part of the conversation. If, you only, if, if, it, if the responsibility of the health of the relationship is, remains on women, I don't see how this issue resolves. I want to talk about emotional intimacy with ourselves, but I just want to point out, like as we've been talking, it's like 80% of divorces are initiated by women. Women are the ones that maintain all these relationships in their lives with their friends. They have close relationships with friends, family, whereas men typically, like not to generalize, but do not as much as women. So you've been married for however long. He has no close friendships. The woman does. So it's almost like to end a marriage where she's not feeling connected or fulfilled she has all these other relationships, you know, like she has a support system, whereas the man may not. Like, like you said, they rely so much on their partner to do all of that. So it's like, I can see where that happens. Absolutely. And, and where I have a lot of compassion for men because they have not been given the opportunities to practice these skills. They can absolutely learn them at any time. I've known a lot of emotionally relationally intelligent men. And so I know they can learn these skills. They have to take an active, invest in themselves, invest in learning these skills. They, so over my coaching career, 
men would come to me and say, I'm recognizing that I have anger management issues. I'm recognizing that I need to learn how to read people better. I need to learn how to resolve conflict better, always in relation to advancing their careers. And you'd think that those skills, because they are emotional intelligence skills, that they would then bring them into their personal relationships. That's That was my assumption. And yet it wasn't really happening. And I think the best I can figure out is that that's because the domain of the emotional connection and monitoring it in relationships is still considered women's domain, right? That's what has to change. So as soon as men understand, hey, you're using some of these skills in your career, your career would not be advancing the way that it is, right? Like you're, you're talking about your husband, who's a physician, he for sure has some attunement skills. He's using them with his patients all day, right? So once men understand, once you talk about identifying those skills and they realize, oh, oh, okay. Because, because they feel they're very sensitive to a sense of failure, to feeling inadequate. So part of what happens is in these conversations where if they're in a relationship with a woman and she's saying, I feel lonely in the relationship, is that they're usually immediately feeling that they failed the relationship, that they failed their partner. And so they will either get you know, defensive about this or they'll shut down a little bit, right? They're very sensitive to feeling inadequate. So part of the work here, the transformation is helping men understand where they, where they are using those skills, how they do have them, that it's not this, they think, oh, it's like the learning curve is too steep. You know, they'll say, I have to make up for years of not being connected. With regard to emotional intimacy with ourselves, I always talk about how much I love just thinking about why I feel a certain way and trying not to react in the moment until I've like, okay, why am I so irritated right now? So (laughs) during quarantine, my husband would come home from work and I've been at home with our toddler, can't go anywhere. Like it was brutal. I would wait for him all day to come home from work, like excited. And then he would come home and I'm pissed all of a sudden. I'm like irritated. I'm annoyed. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I, and then I started to realize that I had all these expectations that like the day was just going to turn around and be amazing once he walked in the door. And what would happen is he would come home from work, be like, Hey, give us a kiss. And then he would go into the kitchen and like either start getting dinner ready or doing the dishes. Now on paper, that looks great. And it was very strange for me to be pissed off because he's coming home and doing the dishes or making dinner. But what was happening was I just wanted him to come and sit with us and like, you know, like connect with us for like 15 minutes you know, and then we can think about who's getting dinner ready, who's going to do whatever. So I had to spend time thinking about why I'm so irritated when he gets home from work, when I've been excited for him to come home. So many aha moments like that happened in quarantine because probably I was so irritated all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's so helpful. And then when I go to him with this, I'm not just like, you come home and you, you go right to the kitchen and you do the dishes or you start making dinner. And now I can go to him and be like, I find myself to be frustrated when you get home because I just wish you would come and sit with us 
and like play with us, whatever we're doing for like 15 minutes, you know, like I can have like a tangible, like, here is what I need you to do. And he's happy to do it, you know? Absolutely. And that shift that I just heard you make in that is instead of lodging a complaint so that someone is right away on the defensive, it's, it's really talking about, here's what I would like, here's what would be helpful for me. And so it's received better, right? It's actually a request. It's not a complaint. It's a request. And I think that's something that happens a lot. And that scenario you described is really a common experience for couples, right? One person comes, if one person's been at home, they're kind of, and if they've been at home with kids, they are craving adult emotional connection and their partner comes home and he or she may need to transition from work to home and may need, and maybe during that time of starting to prepare dinner or, or do the dishes, your, your husband is actually claiming that transition time for himself. And in his mind, he's, he's contributing to the household labor. So he's being helpful and he is right. And so this idea of, you know, what we would call acts of service, right very helpful. You value that and you still want emotional connection. So I think for years, people have been thinking that the inequitable division of household labor is in part what's been ending marriages. That's a source of great frustration. It's not what's ending marriages. What's ending marriages is a lack of emotional connection. And so when couples do exactly what you did, which is you know, the person who's feeling frustrated checks in with themselves and says, what's going on with me? Why am I being so triggered here? Right. And you took, and you took ownership of it, right? I recognize I'm having a bit of an overreaction here. (laughs) He's not doing anything. Right. And, and what do I really want? What is, what is the, the need or the desire that I'm recognizing in myself? Oh, it's that I need a little hit. Of, of emotional connection. And it doesn't have to be for hours, right? You said like 15 minutes will do it for me. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. 
This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I always think about expectations as well. When you have this expectation and then it's not met, it's worse than if that happened and you didn't have that expectation. You know what I mean? Like the expectation makes it so much worse because you're like, oh, my life is going to be so much better when my husband comes home and then he goes and starts doing the dishes. I'm like, what? Like, And the meaning that you make of it, like what meaning were you making of that, right? Were you thinking he doesn't even want to spend time with me? I'm not a priority, right? We start spinning out into that. And then we sometimes then get critical of our partner, blame them, shame them, all of that. And it can escalate very quickly. Yeah. That, I always think that too. Like he has no idea about all this. That's, <laughs> right. <going on. laughs> right. that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. So how can people learn to become more emotionally intimate with themselves? Okay. So this is something that I think is so such an impactful practice for anybody. And so it improves the relationship you have with yourself and it improves the relationship you have with others. And so one of the ways to do this is to check in with yourself periodically through the day on your what you're feeling, which can be hard for some people to identify. Um, I refer people to what's called a mood meter, which was created by Mark Brackett, who wrote the book, Permission to Feel. And I love his chart of emotions because it breaks them up into quadrants in terms of the pleasant and unpleasant emotions that are more energizing. And, you know, for example, the difference between a feeling of exuberance when you wake up in the morning, checking in with yourself, and then recognizing the energy level connected to that emotion, as well as a feeling of, of calm you know, that's equally valuable. And what's the energy level there? And in terms of unpleasant emotions, if you're checking in with yourself, a feeling of, let's say, hopelessness or disappointment has a very different energy attached to it than anger or frustration. So I think it's great to connect the two, to check in with yourself when you wake up in the morning, how am I feeling? What are the interactions, the events I may be looking forward to or not looking forward to? What have I been thinking that's influenced this emotional state? And so you have a better understanding of what's going on for you. And, and, and to try and get into the practice, the habit of maybe even doing that a few times a day so that you then, if you're experiencing a pleasant emotion, you can savor it a little longer, right? Because when we are experiencing pleasant emotions, we're more receptive to new perspectives. We can be more innovative, more creative, more solution-focused if we recognize we're experiencing an unpleasant emotion. 
the next part of emotional intimacy is with yourself is learning how to soothe yourself through that the practices of self-compassion, of self-regulation, so that if you recognize your nervous system is activated, learning what works for you to get it back to a state of being regulated so that you can then be drawn into social interactions with others. You know, so learning how to care for yourself. Do you think it's worthwhile for people to... I was thinking about this like a couple weeks ago, we're so busy all the time. It's like, go, 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 go. And then when we do have free time, we spend it reading other people's thoughts or watching, (laughs) yeah, or watching other people's lives, whether it be social media or reality TV. And it's like, when do you ever sit and just think about your life, about your goals, about your priorities, about why you've been so happy this week, about why you've been so down this week? It's like we don't give ourselves the time to think. You're absolutely right. And I think in large part, because until we've done some of this growth, until we've invested in some of this growth for ourselves, we're often not that comfortable sitting in stillness, in quiet with ourselves. If we experience a feeling of joy, we then, what follows it is that kind of fear that that may be taken away from us, right? We, we have just as much discomfort. Brene Brown talks about this. Sitting with the good, trusting the good. We're scared it's going to be taken away from us as sitting with what's unpleasant. Most people, even as adults, are terrible at self-soothing. We've never learned how to do it. Right. And so for most of us, it's kind of a, a lifetime practice. Right. So we get to a place where we are then, when we're interacting with others and we recognize we're feeling triggered. And it's really important to learn what your triggers are. They were, you know, they developed in childhood. And so we want to understand what triggers us, whether if you're triggered by not feeling prioritized, by feeling invisible, disrespected, whatever it is. I mean, you, you kind of referenced that in terms of recognizing in that interaction with your husband coming home, why am I feeling so irritated? Recognizing your own triggers. And so you're right. It's really important to learn how to sit with yourself. And so, you know, I suggest to people before the demands of everybody else hit you for the day, when you wake up in the morning, if you can claim some of that time for yourself to check in with yourself. It's going to ground you. It's going to help develop your emotional resilience. And be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because I think a lot of the times we welcome these positive emotions, but as soon as it's a little bit uncomfortable, we try to like shove it away or distract, 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 distract. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, just go away now, go away. Instead of actually thinking like, okay, why do I feel this way? How can I change? If you're just pushing it away, distracting yourself, then you're not going to actually get to the root of why you're upset or uncomfortable and how to fix it. Absolutely. It's, it's still there. And so, you know, I, refer people a lot to the work of Joan Rosenberg, who talks about how emotions come to us in 90-second waves, right? She talks about the eight most unpleasant emotions. And if we can understand, you know, anyone can ride out a 90-second wave of discomfort. And, you know, there's going to be more than one. But 
to just, because, you know, there's certain, you know, neurotransmitters in your body with each emotion and all of that, right? But just understanding what's, what's going on with your body and how to comfort yourself with the language you use. You know, you'll hear people say, I'll hear clients say, well, you know, they're going through such a hard time, right? They're suffering. And then they'll tell me that the way that they're communicating with themselves is, oh, get over it. There's no compassion in there. So it compounds the pain rather than saying to yourself, and it feels really awkward initially saying to yourself, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. That's what you'd want a friend to say to you, right? So that helps you become more comfortable with the discomfort. And we don't change without discomfort. To end, I thought we could just quickly talk a little bit about attachment styles. People love attachment. I'm I'm trained in attachment, but more so like the parent-child's attachment. So not necessarily romantic, although I do love the topic of romantic attachment and I've read books and everything. And it's fascinating. So can we talk a little bit about the different attachment styles and maybe some characteristics that those attachment styles would have when it comes to a romantic relationship? Yeah. So the two are completely correlated, right? The way that we show up in our romantic relationships and in friendships is has been developed when we were children with our primary caregivers, as you know. And so it's so helpful to do a little bit of reading on this. You know, one of the books that I recommend is called The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole Heller, because she takes a very optimistic approach in that with with one of the attachment styles, which is secure attachment, we can all learn the skills and the practices of secure attachment. And then there's three others. I don't speak as much about disorganized attachment only because I think about only 5% of the population leans towards that attachment style. And it's a very complex one. It's kind of a mix of the other two insecure attachment styles. So there's ambivalent attachment style. It's also referred to as anxious. I, I prefer to call it ambivalent so that you're not straight out of the gate <laughs> smacking this label on somebody as you're an anxious person. Yeah. Um, and so some of the characteristics of that are that people who lean more towards, and, and it's somewhat fluid, right? Depending on who we're interacting with, people who lean more towards an ambivalent style, fear abandonment, they, are, they can be overly focused on the relationship and abandon themselves. They have more difficulty trusting in the consistent care and safety of the relationship. So they are the people who, if they don't receive a text back from their partner within a certain amount of time that they think is reasonable, they start feeling anxious. They may start panicking a little bit. They may start spinning a story in their head that their partner doesn't care for them. Their partner, you know, they're fearing abandonment. And they also, what would be helpful for them is learning how to self-regulate because they are the ones who are much more likely to quickly pick up the phone anytime they're feeling discomfort so that they can co-regulate so that someone else can help soothe them. And so they often don't know how to soothe themselves. And then with people who are lean more towards avoidant attachment style. They're often much more independent. They also crave connection, however, and they can be really good at cultivating intimacy with somebody. However, once they have that intimacy and once they start feeling a sense of emotional dependence on the other person, they kind of panic 
and they will either sever the relationship altogether or they will really step back or they will dive into work. These are the people who often prioritize work over their relationships. They can remain, no matter what's going on in the relationship, they can often remain very focused on work projects. And so their partner feels feels neglected, doesn't feel like a priority. And they're unconsciously trying to convince themselves that, that they don't really need connection because in their childhood, they often weren't, you know, their emotional needs often weren't tended to, or there wasn't enough physical touch, or so they don't really trust that other people are going to meet their needs. Yeah. And it's important to note that, because I think people hear attachment styles and they're like, oh, I am one of these things. It's like a quadrant and you land on that quadrant, depending on where you score on the different styles. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can slide one way or another. Yeah, you're not just going to fit. It's not like all or nothing. There is a online, I'm sure it's still up. It's the experiences and close relationship scale. If people are curious, they can go take that little test and it'll put you on the quadrant. Did I make my husband do that when we were dating? Yes, I did. (laughs) Good for you. Yes, I did. (laughs) But it is so helpful, right? Because then you understand why you're reactive to certain dynamics in the relationship and not take it so personally. You know, like my husband was secure. He doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can talk and say all this stuff. (laughs) He was secure, but leaning in the quadrant more towards avoidant. And I was like, yeah, like for sure. I I knew that already, but I'm happy that you took this test and (laughs) it was confirmed and I was right. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell. I mean, in working with people, I can just tell in the way that they speak about their experiences, which way they lean, right? In the way that someone who leans more avoidant is not going to talk about their childhood experiences as much. There's going to be all kinds of details missing. They're more likely to gloss over, oh yeah, my childhood was fine. Or yeah, some stuff happened. I'm over it. Emotional content is missing, right? They've convinced themselves they don't really need other people because they can't rely on that. And so their, what, what the part of their growth is learning how to allow other people in to comfort them and trusting that comfort. Yeah. Attachment is so fascinating. And the training that I did on it was for the adult attachment interview. And so it's like this long structured interview that you do with someone and it's all about their childhood experiences. And just like you said, we go through and it takes like a day to do one transcript, but like we're coding all their passages of their interview to like coding it as avoidant or secure or this or that. And it's all color coded. It was, the training was intense, but I learned so much about myself in that training. And like you said, I can hear people talk or interact with one another. And I'm like, Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) you can pick things out. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Oh, okay. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. So to end, I thought you could just tell people where they can find you and definitely what your TikTok name is so that everyone can go follow you on there. So TikTok is really the place to find me because I'm still not active in other social media platforms. So it's Gemma Rain Coaching. 
or they can find me on my website, samegemmaraincoaching.com. Awesome. I will put those in the episode notes so people can find it easily. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yes, thank you. Wow.